Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning, especially to any visitors that we have with us for the very first time. I encourage you to reach out to the membership here at Fairview Park and let any of the members here know if you have a spiritual need. I know that any of them would love to sit down and have a Bible study with you and get to know you better and and find out what it is that you need when it comes to your soul and your relationship to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If any of you don't recognize me, that's fine. My name is Ryan Goodwin. I was the very first preaching intern here at Fairview Park 14 years ago, 2004. It was a summer internship. Uh, I was very young, very single. And coming to Arkansas, that was the first big thing that I did as a young man, leaving the state of Oregon. You opened up my eyes to a whole other world of food. Mostly just food. So if you don't recognize me again, that's fine. You either were not born yet, 14 years ago, or you were just a little baby. You might not have been a member here 14 years ago, or maybe you just do not recognize the old man with the gray beard standing in front of you. That is just fine. 35 suits me well, I think. In the time that uh, since I've been here, I have gone back to Oregon and preached for a few years there. I've been in West Texas for six years. I've been preaching in Phoenix, Arizona for the last five years, and in two months, I'll actually be returning to the Mid-South region to work with the East Shelby Church of Christ just outside of Memphis, Tennessee. So I certainly hope that beginning next year, we will have many more opportunities to see each other and continue to get reacquainted. If you're ever in Memphis or the area, then please stop by East Shelby And I certainly look forward, if the eldership and the membership wants me to come back, if you ever want me to preach again here after what you witnessed today, then I will be happy to drive that couple hours and come see you again. Have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 13 at this time. We're going to talk about wheat and weeds in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. Our theme this weekend has been some of the parables of Jesus. And this parable has always caught my attention and captivated me. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24, Jesus has this to say, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us then to gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest... I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, unlike a number of his other parables, Jesus actually offers an explanation to this one, because in some of the parables, he simply wants the story to just stand as it is, to leave people kind of captivated, maybe a little bit mystified. And his disciples come up and ask him later on about a few of his parables. The parable of the sower, for example. And the same is true here in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 36. So let's let Jesus explain it best 
beginning here in verse 36. Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field, his disciples ask him. In verse 37, he answered and said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Simple enough, the one who sows is the son of man, the Christ. Verse 38, the field is the world. Now, not just part of the world, not just some isolated section of the world, but the field is the world. We are talking about this in the context of the world. Human civilization. He goes on to say here, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. These are the sons of the kingdom. People who have been planted in the world to grow and witness and be a light and to change the people around. That's who is the good seed. These are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. I like how blunt Jesus is, by the way. You know, when it comes to this parable, there's no mystery about things. There's no mystery about it. In fact, even in the parable itself, when he says the kingdom may be compared to, that statement itself says the kingdom is understandable. The kingdom is something approachable. You can reach it. You can arrive at it. You can understand it. There's a bluntness to what Jesus has to say here so that nobody has to stroke their beard and wonder what the point is that he's getting across. The one who sowed the tares is the devil. And those who work for him are of the devil. And it is truly as simple as that. The harvest, he says, is the end of the age. Yes, the harvest is the end of the age, the consummation of all things, when it all will come to an end. And the reapers are angels. And, and that's important to remember also. When we get later on to the parable, we'll see here that the reapers have their own job. The slaves in the parable have their own job as well. And there's no, there's no overlap between what those two groups do. He tells the slaves in the context of the parable, no, 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 leave the tares alone for now. Let them grow up together with the wheat. It's not your job to try and separate the two of them. It's the angel's job. Some things are the job of angels and some things are the job of men, and we need to understand the difference between those two things. In verse 40, Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels. They'll gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In verse 42, in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And finally in verse 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And go ahead and keep a bookmarker there in Matthew chapter 13 for various times that we're going to reference this parable throughout our lesson. I like the way one writer put it here in summation. This is out of a book called The Message of Heaven and Hell by Bruce Milne. The storyline of this parable would have resonated in that agrarian culture. Weeds were as great a threat then as today, and every bit as prevalent. And by the way, isn't it amazing how for as much as we develop technology to kill weeds, the weeds just seem to come back every single year. No matter how much blue stuff you spray on your lawn, the weeds will be back. They will be. They will be. The particular weed here is probably what is known as darnel a poisonous weed closely related to breaded wheat and in the early stages of growth, very hard to distinguish from it. 
And I'm obviously not encouraging you to play on your phones right now during worship, but if you look up on your phones, just look up Darnell and compare it to the way that wheat looks. And I don't know, I'm not any kind of expert when it comes to agriculture, but to the untrained eye, to my eye at least, I can't discern the difference between wheat and Darnell. It really does look almost exactly the same, uh, the same in its early stages. It was a common practice, the writer goes on to say, to weed out the Darnell as it appeared. But in the parable's case, the weeds have made, the he- uh, have made significant headway. The roots of the Darnell become so entangled that an attempt at weeding would threaten the crop itself. That's verse 29. The surprise of the servants is at the extent of the infestation, according to verse 27. In Latin, Darnell is called lolium temulentum. And there's a reason why I bring that up, not just to show you how smart I am, but temulentum actually comes from the Latin word temulentus, which is a Latin word for drunk. That if you eat Darnell, if it somehow gets mixed in with the weed and you don't realize it, It is poisonous. It'll leave you inebriated, and eventually it might even kill you. And that's an important point to bring out. The weed in this story is not dandelions, which you can throw onto a salad and be just fine. The weed in this story is something so poisonous that at best it will leave you inebriated, and at worst it will kill you. That is how seriously God takes the work of the devil. That is how seriously He takes the influence of the devil's people on His people. That is how seriously He takes the difference between the ways of the kingdom and the ways of the world. It is not just serious, it is deadly serious. Now let's make some applications here as we work our way through the parable. First of all, there are many questions that plague us when we consider the seeming peacefulness of evil in the world. This was true 2,000 years ago. It's just as true now. You turn on the news, you look at social media, you talk to friends, family, co-workers, and it seems like no matter where you're looking, and no matter what you're hearing, it's just always bad news. And we wonder, why does God allow the evil to flourish? Why does God seem to be sitting back idly allowing wicked people to run rampant here on planet Earth? Why do we see that there are drug cartels and kingpins and criminals and masterminds and dictators and despots? Why do we see the wicked people of the world so comfortable in their sin, in the products of their sin, at least in a carnal sense, and yet on the other hand we see children who starve to death or are abused. We see people who are malnourished and we see people who are subject to sacrifice and torture and torment. Why does it seem like God just allows wickedness to flourish here on planet Earth? Now in the parable, the slaves of the master or the landowner, they're shocked by how deeply the roots have become ingrained with the wheat. They're shocked by the progress of the tares. They're shocked and they ask the landowner, do you want us to do something about it? Would you like a separation here? And the landowner's response is, allow both to grow together. 
And perhaps some of those slaves, perhaps some of the people working the land, working for that landowner, maybe their first response is similar to ours. They scratch their head and wonder, well, I just don't get that. I, I don't know about that. I, I just don't get that. I don't get how the landowner can just sit back and let tares infiltrate his field. I don't understand how the landowner doesn't want us to do something about this. How he says, allow both to grow together? I don't get that. I don't understand why the judgment day doesn't come right now for these tares. I just, I just don't get that. Maybe that's their first response, and oftentimes it's our first response as well. Why is evil allowed to flourish? But let's remember something about that. It was never God's intention for evil to flourish. It was never God's intention for us to commit sin. It was never God's intention to see the world get to the point that it has reached now, or 2,000 years ago, or long before that in the time of the flood, or even the very moment after Adam and Eve partook of the fruit from that tree. It was not God's intention. A great lesson there is, the condition of the field does not always reflect the will of the landowner. I'll say that again. The condition of the field does not always reflect the will of the landowner. God doesn't want the world to be as bad as it is. God does not want sinners to be as entangled in sin as they are. God did not create the world to see it corrupted by sin. And yet free will requires it. After the tares are sowed in the field and even after the discovery by the landowner and his workers, life seems to go on fairly normally for everybody. And we wonder why life seems to go on fairly normally. There is no cataclysmic event. There's no sign of the times. There's no drastic steps that are taken. The master simply allows the tares to exist with seemingly little harassment side by side with the desired crop. And what this illustrates is that God remains even control even when we reject His authority or His will. If he had wanted to, could he have destroyed the tares then and there? Well, certainly. The field is still his. He still owns it. And his crop still occupies it. You notice the, the existence of tares in this field doesn't somehow make it impossible for the existence of wheat. The wheat is still there. Yes, there are tares growing alongside the wheat, but the wheat is still there. And maybe that's a big reason why the landowner allows the two to grow together. Because he knows that if he gets involved now and tries to remove the tares from the field, it may damage the wheat itself. Let's not gather up the tares now. We'll wait for the appropriate time because we don't want to harm the wheat as it also grows alongside the tares. Maybe practical application here. We'll look at the news again and we'll see all the bad news in the world and there's war and there's conflict, there's political turmoil and there's trials and all this stuff. And we get so focused on the bad news all the time that we forget that right alongside all the bad news, there's a lot of other really quiet good news out there as well. For everything bad that might be happening in your community, there are also people who are still caring and there are people who are loving and there's still charity happening. 
And there are parents who care about their children. And there are children who deal with bullies in the right way. And there are great teachers and great and principals and administrators and community leaders. And there are churches that are growing and there are Bible studies happening. Right alongside all the bad news, there's a lot of quiet, good news happening behind the scenes. Yes, the tares are growing. There are tares. There's no avoiding that. But the landowner also sees the wheat. And he says, let's leave the tares alone for now for the benefit of the wheat that is also growing alongside them. But there's another point here to think about. Being around the tares or the weeds of the world gives the wheat perspective. Being around sinners gives us perspective. After all, it's not God's desire for us to be isolated from the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 makes that clear. That when he talks about being isolated or alienated from sinners, he talks about those who profess to be Christians but are living in sin. Because Paul, the apostle, says you can't leave the world. You're still in the world. You're stuck here for now. You can't leave the world. You can't just isolate yourself from every sinner out there they're going to be in your jobs and they're going to be in your communities and they're going to be in the schools. There are sinners out there. It's just a fact. I like the way it's put in John chapter 17 as Jesus is speaking to His disciples here. In John chapter 17, rather here He's praying to God in verse 14, I have given them Thy Word, He prays to the Lord, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world even as I am not of the world. I don't ask Thee to take them out of the world. Look at this. I don't ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. His prayer was not for his disciples to be like miraculously lifted up out of the world. I'm not praying that they be taken out of the world. I'm just asking that they be kept from sin. Kept from the hand of the evil one. Kept from destruction. It was not God's intention for us to leave the world, at least as long as we're alive here. And if God allowed Christians to be totally separate and isolated from the world, we'd lose our perspective. We'd lose our perspective on sin and why sin doesn't work, why sin is harmful. We'd lose our perspective on love and mercy and grace. We would lose our perspective on why the gospel works. Because I'll tell you what, one benefit to witnessing sin in the world and its effects is we are reminded constantly why God's way is better. There is another sower in this story. There's another sower. And instead of, instead of throwing the existence of evil at God's feet and blaming Him, God, why have You allowed the world to be so bad? Why have You allowed wicked people to prosper? Instead of taking that and throwing it at His feet and blaming Him, why don't we put the blame where it really belongs? Because there is another sower in this story. There are those who sow the wheat, yes. But there are also those who sow the tares. And behind them is their leader, the devil. Evil exists not because God created evil. Evil exists because of somebody else. Evil exists because of Satan. 
Make sure that you're putting the blame in the right place when you ask tough questions about the existence of sin and evil in this world. Remember, God is not the cause of evil. Satan is. Satan is the enemy of both God and mankind. Getting back to Darnell, the tares from this story. Darnell is useless to the landowner, but it is also toxic to those who partake of it. Sin is useless to God. Sinners are useless to God and toxic to people of the kingdom. Satan is also underhanded. He doesn't play by the rules. Satan's operatives came to the land by night in secret, by subterfuge, and they planted the tares there without telling anybody. You know what I like about that? Satan knows that he can't play fair with God. Satan knows that the only way he can beat God, he really can't, but the only way he thinks he can beat God is to break the rules, to be secretive and sneaky. Satan knows that if it was just God versus Satan and that was it, the outcome's already been decided. The outcome's already been decided. All he can do then is cheat. All he can do is try to sneak 12 men onto the field. All he can do is try to, try to steal the signals from the offensive coordinator. All he can do is just try to cheat. That's all he has in his toolbox now. Satan is aggressive also. He doesn't attack the fringes of the land. He goes to the very center of it and plants tares all throughout the piece of property. And in the same way, we need to be aggressive with the gospel message. For as aggressive as Satan is, we must also be active and engaged and assertive with the message of the gospel. Your children are on Satan's radar. Do you take that seriously? Your husband, your wife, they're on Satan's radar. Do you take that seriously? Your school, your community, Fairview Park is on Satan's radar. And are you as engaged and assertive as Satan is as aggressive to defeat us and to bring us down. Notice that there are only two options. You're either wheat or you're a weed. Useful to God or useless and reserved only for the furnace at the end of time. I can either be noxious or I can be nutritious. I can bring people out of sin or I can cause them to sin. In verse 41, in Jesus' own explanation of the parable, He talks about stumbling blocks. And Now, stumbling blocks are to be removed from the world so I can either be a stepping stone to somebody else and help them along or I will be a stumbling block to those people as well. He allows both to grow together. That's an interesting part of the story, isn't it? No, 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 leave them alone. Allow the tares to grow together with the wheat. That's probably the most perplexing part of this story. Back in that book by Milne, the writer adds this, and I really like his insight on this point of growing together. 
Growing together in its way summarizes the whole human story from the dawn of human civilization to the very present. The good and the bad, the servants of God and the servants of Satan, the men and women of ideals and values, and the men and women who have despised these very things, those who have aspired to the skies and those who have sunk to the depths, and all the multitudes who have found themselves somewhere between, moving along on the highways of history, born, surviving, developing, maturing, aging, dying, growing together in the great bundle of human life on planet Earth. And so it will go on through the course of this century, this millennium, and on for as long as history extends seemingly endlessly on until harvest. And the harvest is the decisive moment. Now, we might become very frustrated by that because we say, how long, oh Lord, how long will this keep going on? My children are so small. I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old, and they have not touched sin yet, and sin has not touched them. They're young, and they're innocent, and they're naive, and they're ignorant. And I'll be completely honest with you, there is a big part of me as a father that kind of hopes the judgment day comes tomorrow. Because I don't want to see the very first day my son sins. I'm not looking forward to the day I discover pornography on his computer. I'm not looking forward to the day that one of my daughters is abused by somebody, taken advantage of by somebody. I'm not looking forward to the day that they talk back to me, not because they're kids and kids will talk back to you, but because they're rebelling against me. I am not looking forward to the day that my children sin. To the decisive moment when they have to choose will they be wheat or will they be weeds. And we say, how long, O Lord? How long do we have to sit and put up with this? How long, O Lord, until this is finally done? How long, O Lord, before You in Your infinite wisdom and Your power are finally going to do something about the thing I feel powerless to do? Maybe that's a little bit of what happened in Psalm 73. If you recall in Psalm 73, the writer spends the first half of the psalm saying, I look at the wickedness of this world. I see the evil people of this world. They have grown fat and happy because of their sin. And I was envious of the wicked. I was envious of them because nothing bad ever seems to happen to them. And I try to be good and make good choices and live for you. And, and I'm not prospering like they are. And he goes on to say in that psalm, you know what, if I had really thought that way, if I had taken that thought to its logical end, to its conclusion, I would have betrayed you and I would have betrayed your people. Because there's more going on than just the carnal prosperity of wicked people. There's more going on behind the scenes. There is a judgment that is brewing and waiting for the time of God's choosing. And like the servants of the landowner in this parable, it is not up to me when that day happens. That's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to accept that it's God's call. That He's the one who gets the final say. 
In our text in verses 28 and 29, it's interesting because this text shows that the landowner gets the final say in the matter. The servants may have their suggestions, the servants may have their ideas, but the call is not theirs to make. Kind of reminds me of Luke chapter 9. If you recall from Luke chapter 9, the sons of Zebedee. Sons of thunder, right? Wouldn't you love to have the nickname son of thunder? I mean, that just sounds like, that, that almost sounds like, like the bassist and lead guitarist from like a 1980s rock band or something, right? Like, and the sons of thunder on stage. Like, the sons, of, the, the sons of Zebedee, they were the sons of thunder, perhaps because of their zeal for asking Jesus in Luke 9 to bring fire from heaven to destroy some Samaritans who had not received their Lord. And I like the thoughtful response that Jesus offers to them. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So maybe you have an enemy that you'd like God to bring judgment on. But what you see as an enemy, God sees as a potential Christian. And as long as that person has breath passing between their lips, I don't think God sees them as hopeless. This would remind us then of a few things. Mankind does not have the power or the resources to totally eliminate evil from the world. No matter how many people sign up for a charitable event or to clean up a beach and pick up plastic bottles, no matter the gobs of money that are thrown at civilization's problems, no matter how much the government might get involved and create a commission for this and an advisory committee for that, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we do not have the power or the resources to eliminate evil from the world. On its own, humanity will not bring about a better world. And even very powerful governments cannot adequately deal with evil because they themselves fail at times. We shouldn't get discouraged when massive amounts of money don't eradicate crime or poverty. For Jesus Himself said, the poor you will have with you always. We should not despair when we discover that the roots of the tares have become entangled even in the church or in our families. The Lord knows those who are His, Paul wrote to Timothy. The Lord knows those who are His. And if there should be sinners in our midst who have put on the face of Christianity to hide amongst the wheat, God will know that. And God will take care of that. And it doesn't get any better with time either. I think the secular humanist might think so. The, the, the goal of the secular humanist is to, is to say mankind can pick itself up by its bootstraps and fix all of its problems. And if we just unify in this way or put money into this thing or, or, or build up this part of our society, then, then someday, someday it's going to be like Star Trek The Next Generation and we're all going to like wear nice, nice jumpsuits everywhere and, and beige and everything and, and all of human civilization is going to be perfect and we won't need money anymore and there won't be crime or corruption. No. According to this parable, that's not the case. In fact, according to this parable, the, the weeds are going to just keep growing. They will grow and they will grow and they will grow and they will be allowed to thrive and grow as long as planet Earth exists. 
as long as God allows them to, there will always be the weeds. There will always be the tares. It's not going to get better with time. The laws of physics tells us that in a physical sense, the universe is degrading, but I have no doubt whatsoever that in a moral sense, we're also degrading as well. It will not get better with time. So we come to the harvest. The end of the parable. When the landowner finally sends out the reapers, people who are specially and uniquely qualified to separate one from the other, the wheat from the tares. It's not our job. It's not our job. Milne said this, The time of growing is over. The time for producing fine heads of grain for the flour to adorn the owner's table with life-giving bread is past. The time for frustrating the good stalks of grain with constricting weeds and their entangling roots is at an end. Nothing remains the same. The scene of the action changes. Prior to this moment, all eyes were on the field. It was the center of everything. Here was where it all happened. Now the field is left behind. Everything which was there has been taken away. We have moved beyond the field. We are now either at the fire or at the barn. So the harvest, and I love this, my friends. This is a great comment. So the harvest is utterly decisive. You have the moment of decision before you right now as well. Perhaps at some point in your life you made the decision to become a wheat in God's field. Nutritious useful, beautiful in His sight. But you've fallen away. Wheat can become tares. I know that doesn't fit within the, you know, <laughs> the, the physical boundaries of what wheat and tares are. I get that. But in a spiritual sense, wheat can become a weed. You make yourself a weed by becoming useless to God and poisonous, noxious to the people around you. But maybe you never made that decision in the first place. Maybe you've lived your life as a tear. And up to this point, you've been part of a corrupted world. Always willing to go in with everybody of what they want to do. Always willing to try this and that. Never interested. Never curious about God. Never convicted by sin. But now's your moment. The decisive moment for you because tomorrow might not come. The wheat doesn't know. The weeds don't know. The workers in the field don't know. Jesus Himself said, not even the Son of Man knows. But the Father alone knows when the time of judgment will come. Do not be caught unprepared. Do not be caught unprepared. So whatever spiritual need you have this morning, please let it be known by coming forward as we stand and sing.